Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to each of you. We've been uh, working our way throughout the month of December through a series of messages entitled Jesus Came To. And uh, today we want to conclude that series. And uh, what's on my heart to share this morning is that Jesus came to take us home. Uh, I want to take uh, some time this morning and really examine particularly what Jesus said about his second coming. And uh, oftentimes, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're very excited uh, at the hope uh, of the return, the second return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And rightfully so. We should be excited. Uh, But it's also important that when he returns, that you and I are ready and, uh, and Jesus takes uh, two chapters to really talk about, in the first chapter, Matthew 24, uh, he talks about what the signs are of his second coming. Uh, and then in Matthew 25, that whole chapter, he talks about uh, the way in which we can be ready uh, for his second coming. And so we're going to refer to a lot of scripture this morning. Um, We won't be able to read all of Matthew 24 and 25. I'm going to skim through it and highlight uh, a few different things. But I would encourage you in the next few days uh, to take time and to slowly and carefully read Matthew chapters 24 uh, and 25. Jesus has a lot to share with those of us who are following him on, on this earth in relationship to his second coming. So in Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 3. Listen to what uh, the writer says and then to what uh, Jesus says in response uh, to the question that the disciples ask. Beginning at verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will happen And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. We'll pause there for a moment. Now Jesus mentions several things here that will characterize this world just before he returns uh, to this world. And it says in verses 5 and 6 that he encourages, he exhorts his disciples not to be misled by anyone. And then he says it again, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And then he goes on to give other indications of what the world will be like upon his return. Verse 6, he talks about hearing of wars and rumors of wars. And uh, verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against nation. There will be earthquakes and famines. And I remember for so long when I would think 
about the return of Jesus from my understanding of Scripture and what I had been taught, I always thought about the rumors of wars and nations rising up against nation. And although those are signs that Jesus mentions here, we want to pay particularly close attention to what he says in verses 5 and 6. Why? Because he says it several times uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in this chapter. He says, see to it that no one misleads you in verse 4. And then he says again, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. In verse 11, he says, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And then in verse 24, he, he talks again about the fact that many, even the elect, if possible, will be misled. And so what we can learn from this is that four times Jesus talks about this idea of being misled that will characterize the last day. In other words, there will be great deception within the church. Jesus is talking to us, his disciples, and within the church there will be great deception uh, that will be taking place. So when you read verse 5, he says, For many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. What he's referencing there is the fact that many will come in the name of Jesus and claim that Jesus himself is the Christ, not the person who's coming. Uh, that was a misunderstanding that I had for a long time. I thought that this meant that people would come saying, come in Jesus' name and saying that they were themselves the Christ. But that's not true. Many will come in my name, will come in the name of Jesus, and they will say that Jesus is the Christ and will mislead many. So in other words, there will be false prophets, false teachers that will uh, teach God's word in such a way to mislead people. They won't teach the whole counsel of God and all that Jesus taught. And that's why it's important for us to seek to protect ourselves from deception in these last days. One of the best ways that we can protect ourselves from deception is a phrase that the Apostle Paul refers to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He talks about receiving a love of the truth. When we receive a love of God's word, God's truth, God's plan for us. This is the best thing that will protect us against deception. Amen. Years ago, I took Shanice, my wife, to dinner. This was before we got married. And I was trying to impress her like many guys do when they're dating um, a particular lady that they're interested in. And I made the mistake of taking her to a very expensive restaurant. And when they brought out the menu, I looked through the menu, and I say it was a mistake because I didn't have the money to pay for this dinner. And I thought it was much cheaper. But uh, now that I was there, I had to go through with it. They gave me a menu, and on that menu, they didn't have things like cheeseburgers or pizza or things that I was used to, they had things like lamb and duck and rabbit and meats that I had never had before. And so I went ahead and ordered what seemed to be the safest item on the menu, which was duck. Never had duck before in my life. 
And uh, Shanice ordered a seafood dish, and they brought out her dish. They brought out my dish, duck. And I sat down, and I started to eat this duck. And it was good. I was surprised at how uh, tasty it was. Now, the waiter brought out the duck for me to eat, and after about five or seven minutes, the chef came out, and he came to check on us, and he looked at what I was eating, and he said, are you enjoying the rabbit? And I said, no, this is duck. And he said, no, that's rabbit. You ordered duck? And I said, yes, I ordered duck. And he said, well, on your plate is rabbit. And so he took my plate away, and a few minutes later, he brought back duck. Deception is we think we have one thing when in reality we have something else. And that's what happened to me. I was deceived. I thought I was eating duck, and I was eating duck, but I, I thought I was eating rabbit. <laughs> I ordered duck, but they brought out, y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, I ordered duck, but they brought out rabbit, and uh, they didn't bring out the right dish. But guess who wasn't deceived? The chef. The chef knew exactly what I had. He took one look at it, and he knew that I was eating something that I didn't order. Why? Because he knew exactly what uh, rabbit looks like. He knew exactly, based on the texture and the look of it and the way it was cooked and all of that, he knew exactly what I had before me, but because I didn't know anything about duck or rabbit, whatever the waiter sat in front of me, I took it to believe it was what I had in fact ordered. And so the same is true with God's word. We have to develop a love of God's word. We have to accept it as truth and live in obedience to this word. Because when we do that, there's nothing that anyone can say to deceive us. And unfortunately, there are many teachers, according to what Jesus says, in the church today who are not teaching all that Jesus taught or teaching us away from the things that Jesus taught in order to make a name for themselves or uh, in order to uh, build a kingdom unto themselves. And so... You and I want to develop, we want to receive a love of the truth. And this is why we want uh, to study the scriptures. We want to pray and ask the Lord to give us revelation, to give us understanding uh, into his word. Because this will protect us from the false prophets who will mislead many uh, in the last days. And so this is something that Jesus highlights. Deception is going to be rampant in the church in the last days. And we are certainly... Uh, seeing that. In verse 9, he goes on to say, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So Jesus talks about tribulation in verse 9 that will characterize uh, the days just before his coming. And he also references tribulation in verse 21. He said, for there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. 
And so Jesus talks about deception as characterizing the last days before his return. And he talks about tribulation. Tribulation is a new covenant word that refers to the persecution that Christians will experience. And Christians have experienced it since uh, Jesus left this world. But in the last days, the intensity of tribulation, of persecution among Christians will greatly increase. And uh, we are certainly seeing that taking place today. People who take a stand for their faith in Jesus being persecuted all over the world. And we've heard the stories on the news about Christians who are being executed uh, in other parts of the world for their faith and churches being uh, burned. And we know what it's like even here in this country. And you and I, we know how common it is in our society today, uh, the kind of persecution that we can experience in our work, in our places of employment, in schools, and in other places. You know, they used to call the United States a Christian nation. And, uh, but in the last several decades, we can see that that's no longer true. We are not living in a Christian nation. If you work, if you have a workplace where you have an office, you can put up all sorts of religious signs if you want. You can put up Buddhist signs and Hindu and, and Baha'i faith signs and all kinds of things, and you won't have any problems. But the moment you set a Bible on your desk or you put a cross on your desk or anything like that, guess what? Persecution. Uh, you can expect to experience. And I've heard of people who, when their boss found out that they were a Christian, they were looked over for promotions and other opportunities for advancement. And the same is, is uh, true in schools. The United States is no longer a Christian nation. We are experiencing persecution here, and it's only going to intensify in the coming days. And, uh, and Jesus makes uh, reference to this throughout uh, chapter 24. In verse 12, he says, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So Jesus says that lawlessness, which is another word for sin, will increase in the last days. And most people's love for him will grow cold. And, uh, but he says, those of us who endure to the end, we are the ones who will be saved. We want to continue to love um, our fellow brothers and sisters as well as other people, especially those whom we consider to be our enemies, uh, all the way to the end. And it's, uh, these are times where as sin increases, we're going to be tested. We're going to be tested. We're going to be tested as to whether or not our love for Jesus will hold true to the end. And so jump down to verse 23 of Matthew 24. Jesus says in verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. I want to read that same passage 
in the message translation. Jesus says in the message translation, if anyone tries to flag you down, calling out, here's the Messiah, or points, there he is, don't fall for it. Fake messiahs and lying preachers are going to pop up everywhere. Their impressive credentials and dazzling performances will pull the wool over the eyes of even those who ought to know better. But I have given you fair warning. And so Jesus wants us to recognize what will be taking place. And he doesn't want us to be caught up, uh, especially when people make reference to the fact that he's returned uh, to the earth. And there's a doctrine in the church that talks about the secret rapture and that Jesus will secretly return to the earth and he will uh, take those who are his to be with him. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, if people come and say, behold, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. And then listen to what he says in verse 26. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So when you hear something from someone who's teaching God's word and they say that Jesus is returning secretly, if we don't know his word, guess what? We're going to be deceived. We can easily be uh, taught that uh, Jesus will come secretly. But if we know what Jesus says here, Verse 27, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. If we know that, then we know that when Jesus comes, it's not going to be a secret. When we are driving or outside or even indoors, when there's lightning that happens, everybody sees it. Everyone sees it. And so Jesus says that's the way his coming will be. For when lightning shines from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then verse 29, he says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, for years, I heard about this debate that exists in the church when you talk about the return of Christ. And I didn't understand it fully, but I knew the terminology. Uh, when people would talk about the return of Christ, they would talk about pre-trib or tribulation versus mid-trib versus post-tribulation. And people are debating these things and taking up various positions according to what others are saying. 
But Jesus says in verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And so Jesus is coming, he says, after the tribulation. And so that should put to rest any debate about whether or not he's coming before, during, or after. We are going to go through the tribulation, Jesus says, and then after the tribulation takes place, uh, he will return again. And it says, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And so there'll be a great trumpet and uh, the angels are going to precede Jesus coming. And he will come and gather his elect, those who are his disciples, he will gather to meet him in the sky. Look at another reference of this. Hold your place at Matthew 24, and then look at another reference in 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so when Jesus comes, those who are already dead They will come out of their graves and they will uh, meet the Lord in the sky, he says. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so the same thing, we hear about the trumpet and the Lord descending, and those who are already passed away, they will rise first, and they will go before those of us who are still alive. And so these are the things that Jesus tells us will precede his second coming. And uh, we don't want to be caught off guard, and, uh, and we certainly don't want to be surprised. And when it talks about all the tribes of the earth will mourn, I believe it says that because people will be surprised that Jesus has returned and they won't be ready for his return. And there will be mourning uh, among uh, all tribes and nations of the earth. Uh, But Jesus tells us uh, specifically in the next verses what we can do to be ready. And so let's look at verse 42. Verse 42 of Matthew 24, therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. And so Jesus tells us that we want to be on the alert, that if someone had told us, had someone had told you and I that a thief was coming and we knew exactly what time that thief was coming, we would be ready for that person. We would be alert and ready for their coming. 
And we don't know when Jesus is returning. It says in verse 36 of Matthew 24, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. So when Jesus lived on the earth, he, didn't, he himself didn't even know when he was returning. Only the Father knew. And so Jesus tells us that we want to be prepared for his return. And so in chapter 25 of Matthew, he gives us more information to help prepare us for his return. He gives us two parables and then a picture of the judgment. And again, we won't go through all of this in the interest of time, but I want to highlight uh, just a few things. And so again, the context here in verse 42, he says, be on the alert, be ready. Um, and then he continues uh, in chapter 25. And he says uh, this first parable. Then the kingdom of heaven, chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. So we see here that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who each had lamps. And, uh, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. You and I are called the bride of Christ. And we are waiting for the return of our bridegroom, Jesus. And, uh, and within these ten virgins, five of them were foolish and five were prudent. The five who were foolish didn't have oil for their lamps, whereas the five who were wise had uh, and brought oil with them. The lamp represents our outward testimony. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so the light shows forth, the light in us will show forth our good works. And it speaks to our outward testimony. And we all want to have a good outward testimony. But what Jesus says here in this parable is that verse 5, now while the bridegroom was uh, delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, uh, behold, the, the bridegroom come out to meet him. And so there was this shout that the bridegroom was almost here. And the five virgins who had the oil in their lamp, they lit their lamp and they were ready to see him, to find him. But the virgins who had no oil in their lamp weren't able to see him. And the oil is the inward part of the lamp. Um, I went to the internet recently to look at these oil lamps and imagine a bowl, if you will, uh, that has a wick inside of it. And inside of this bowl called the lamp is uh, oil. And in order for the lamp to be lit for a long period of time, you had to have oil inside of the lamp. And if you didn't have any oil, then guess what? You would light that wick, and within a matter of moments, the wick would burn out, and then you would have no more light. And so the light speaks to our outward testimony, but the oil is what's on the inside, and it speaks to the inward life that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. Go there with me. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus makes it clear that those of us who would follow him have to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And so the question then becomes, well, what is that righteousness that marked the scribes and the Pharisees? And we all know that scribes and Pharisees prided themselves on their outward appearance, on their outward righteousness, but inside they weren't living what they were preaching. And so Jesus says that our righteousness has to be about our inward testimony and not only our outward testimony. He tells us that we have to clean the inside of the cup in Matthew 23. And if the inside of the cup is clean, then the outside of the cup will be clean. And so this is the inner life that Jesus says we want to have right before he returns. And he says, going back to Matthew 25, verse 11, verse 10, and while they were going away to, to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. And then he says, later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And when I read that verse, it reminded me of what Jesus said uh, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about false prophets and people will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, and didn't I do all of these amazing, wonderful gifts, these outward things? And the response uh, that Jesus had was, away from me, I never knew you. And... Um, and it's because they didn't have a, an inward life. They didn't seek to apply all that Jesus uh, had taught in obedience to clean up the inside of their cup. And so the first thing Jesus teaches us is that we want to live a life of purity before him uh, as we seek to be ready for his return. We don't want to be people who practice sin and practice lawlessness, uh, as the scriptures say. We want to be quick. Uh, to repent, to live with a clear conscience and not put off things that we need to do in order to set things right uh, before the Lord. Let's look at the second parable, uh, the parable of the talents. You all know the story. Uh, the slave master has three slaves and he gives them uh, talents according to their ability. To one he gives five to the other, he gives two, and then to the third one, he gives one talent. And he goes off on a long journey, it says, and when he returns, he wants to see what they've done with what he's given them. And the first two slaves gave a great return on what the master had given them. And the response of the master was, well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But listen to the response that he has for the third slave. He only gave him one talent. And in verse 24 of Matthew 25, Jesus says, The one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you, had, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Verse 26, 
But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. And so what can we learn from that? Jesus has given all of us certainly spiritual gifts. Those of us who have come to faith in him, we've been given spiritual gifts. But he's also given us natural talents and he's given us various um, material resources. He's given us money and time and energy. So Jesus gave uh, talents and we all have various uh, talents, things that he's given us. It refers to things like spiritual gifts in the spiritual, uh, but also our physical, uh, natural talents that we have and uh, our material resources. All of us have various amounts of money and energy and time and things like that. And what the Lord is looking for from each of us is how did we use the things that he gave us? So the one who had been given one talent, it says he buried it in the ground. He buried it in the earth. And that would suggest that he used it for himself, that he didn't give a return. He didn't seek to use it for the things of God. He used it on himself. And so when the master returned, all he could do was give back that which was given to him. But he couldn't speak of a return that he had given uh, based on uh, the resources that God had given him. And so as we seek to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus, we want to make sure that we are uh, using the things that God has given us uh, to advance his kingdom here on earth. So certainly in terms of spiritual gifts, if we, if we have a gift for teaching or uh, evangelist or as a shepherd, whatever the spiritual gift is, we want to use that gift. First of all, we want to discover what that gift is and then use that gift for the building up of his kingdom. And if we have natural talents, things like uh, we're great with organizational skills or we're good singers or cooks or whatever it is, we can use the natural talents and the resources, the material resources that God has given us uh, to be a blessing uh, here on the earth. And then finally, uh, in verse 31 to the end of chapter 25, Jesus gives a picture of the judgment. And it says in verse 31, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate from one another and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And you know the rest of the story. Uh, he talks about how um, people had given to him uh, in various uh, situations. Uh, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. And I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to eat? 
or, or give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so Jesus says, if we want to prepare for his return, uh, we want to seek to be a blessing to uh, brothers and sisters who are walking with him as well. Uh, it, it's a measurement of our attitude towards our fellow believers, particularly those believers who we find in need. And in our church here at Abundant Life, there are brothers and sisters this Christmas season who are in need. They might have some uh, financial need, groceries, uh, whatever the need is. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a blessing to me, be a blessing to those among us who are in need. And it's, it's uh, easy to overlook uh, people among us who are in need. And uh, this is a word for us to really examine our attitude and to seek to uh, have an open heart and an open hand with the resources God has given us to be a blessing uh, to those among us who are in need. And he goes on in the rest of the chapter um, to talk about the other side where people are not uh, seeking to meet the needs of others. And his answer in verse, 35, verse 45 uh, is this. Truly I say to you to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so I know we've gone through these chapters fairly quickly, uh, but again, as we come down to the end of another year, it's important for us to, first of all, rejoice in the fact that Jesus is soon to return, and then secondly, to love the truth of the word in such a way where no one can deceive us. No one can deceive us because we know God's word too well, we know his nature too well, uh, and the result is that we can't be surprised or taken uh, away from uh, the calling that he has. And then finally, there's nothing for us to be frightened about, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 24. With all of the increase of sin that we see, all of the, the uh, mass shootings and the, the terrorism and all the things that we see today characterizing the world in which we live in, you and I have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to be frightened of. It's just an indication that Jesus is soon to come. And uh, that's the hope that we all have. Praise the Lord.